millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A well-constructed portfolio is a portfolio that is correctly designed for that individual client's objectives. You're listening to Crypto Savvy, the show that demystifies digital assets and uncovers all things cryptocurrency. Brought to you by the Hashkey Group, a leader in financial technology and digital asset management. Crypto Savvy, the essentials. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 27 of the Crypto Savvy, the Essentials podcast, brought to you by the Hashkey Group, a leader in professional-grade virtual asset services. I'm your host, Jason Lee, and in this episode, we caught up with Alexei Mironenko, the Global Head of Investment Solutions at Leo Wealth. He'll be sharing with us the changes in investor appetite and risk management for digital assets and traditional finance products. Now, before we kick off this episode, I just want to note that this recording was done in early November before everything that had happened with FTX. And obviously, there's plenty to unpack from what had occurred in the market since then, which we might do in a future episode. But this just only underscored and highlighted the importance of risk management in the world of virtual assets. And our guest, Alexei, who is very well-versed in this aspect, is here to break this all down. Welcome to the Crypto Savvy Podcast, Alexei. How are you? I'm well, Jason. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Well, we normally like to start these podcasts with uh, kind of a hero story, a background of our guest. Now, can you briefly you know, introduce yourself? You know, what do you do at Leo Wealth, etc.? Sure. I think hero might be a little bit of a stretch, but uh, uh, I'll do my best. Uh, so as Jason mentioned, uh, uh, I'm a uh, head of investment solutions at Leo Wealth. We are a boutique wealth manager um, and multifamily office for um, people really globally at this point. Um, with uh, offices in New York, Dallas, uh, Tokyo, Hong Kong, uh, and soon Singapore. Um, I sit in the investment side of the equation. Um, so we have people doing tax, estate, structuring, payments. But my team and I look after our clients' investments. You know, the investment solutions in the title really means uh, anything to do with investments. So, the, you know, the basics, stocks and bonds and sometimes commodities, but then also uh, private equity, private credit, uh, hedge fund exposures, uh, crypto, 
and every now and then um, the the less traditional aspects of the digital asset space. Um, so we we, um, we advise our clients. We have discretion over some portion of their portfolios, but really our job is to sit between them and capital markets and help them navigate uh, the choices they have uh, with regard to their money. Now, when I was doing a bit of research about, you know, Leo Wealth and about yourself, you know, I found that in, you know, the, your biography, you know, on your website, it says that, you know, you aim to help clients construct a cost efficient portfolio. Now, can you define for us what is cost efficient and then what constitutes a well-constructed portfolio, Alexi? Yeah, I mean, the, those are two very different, but both equally important things. And I think the efficient part comes from uh, my time at BlackRock, where I mainly worked with institutional clients, not individual clients. So um, to put it bluntly, we measured costs in basis points, not in percent. So we were evaluated on, you know, if we were underperforming by one basis point, we needed to have an explanation as to why. Uh, and more often than not, it was cost. It wasn't, um, it wasn't performance. Uh, we were paying too much either for, for commissions or for uh, in terms of fees. Part of my job is to figure out, um, you know, if a client is trying to do X, Y, Z with their investments, have they chosen the most cost efficient, tax efficient, structurally efficient way to accomplish it. So if it's a traditional exposure, you know, we will always look at, you know, do we buy stocks directly versus do we use an ETF versus can we outsource to someone where we accomplish the exact same thing, but those will come at three different price points and three different operational risk points. If it's owning, you know, something as simple in the crypto space as Bitcoin, there's obviously nowadays many different ways to do it. I can buy Bitcoin directly, I can store it in a wallet, I can go through um, uh, through a digital exchange of some sort, but I can also buy an ETF now or even a, a closed-end trust. And depending on the client's objectives, the definition of efficiency will be different. So, for example, one client wants it in a cold wallet sitting in their study. That for them is efficient. Uh, another client of ours would be quite scared of that because what if they lose it? What if there's a fire? They want it sitting in an exchange and then we have to find the cheapest way. And then a third client might say, what's the most, um, you know, is, is there any arbitrage to be had? And, the, you know, there's one right now where there's a vehicle in the U.S. which is trading at a 30% discount to Bitcoin. So if you're going to own Bitcoin, why not own it at a 30% discount? And now that discount might go to 40, so it's not for everyone. But if it closes to zero, that's a very good trade as well. So that's the efficiency part. How do you design the most cost, tax, structurally, operationally efficient way to accomplish an investment objective? The well-constructed portfolio means very different things for different people. And that's, um, you know, one of the things that I love about my job is that you know, we have many different clients and their needs and their definitions of efficiency and well-constructed are also very different. So someone might be saving for a large property purchase at the end of next year. So a well-constructed portfolio is one that has the money that they need in, on November 15th, 2023, above a, the performance target. Um, someone else is saving for an intergenerational transfer. The money is really for their grandchildren. So their time horizon is 50 years away. I should be very diversified. I shouldn't worry about short-term market uh, volatility. I should be thinking, what will the future look like? And allocating appropriately. Now, again, in equity space, that might mean that I underweight the U.S. and overweight emerging markets. Maybe. Maybe it means I take a small uh, allocation to some of the emerging coins in the digital space um, on the hope that they, you know, in, in 50 years, a couple of them have struck it, you know, have made it and they are 
now the new Bitcoin. Um, so priorities for clients change. And I guess maybe a one sentence answer is a well-constructed portfolio is a portfolio that is correctly designed for that individual client's objectives. And then, of course, behind the scenes, you've got to bring in all the financial, you know, the academic science around diversification, around uh, risk sizing uh, positions uh, and optimizing for your for your result. That's probably longer winded than you wanted it to be. Uh, but that's how we think about it. And Alexi, you mentioned that clients or in general investors these these days, they have different uh, risk appetite. You know, they're looking for different things when it comes to, you know, managing uh, their 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 wealth and funds. Now, can you tell us? Uh, obviously, you know, I think right now, Bitcoin, Ethereum, you know, these digital assets form a huge part of some people's portfolio nowadays. Now, how do you see the growing popularity in digital assets and are, you know, um, private wealth platform like you guys helping lots of clients allocate their assets to digital assets? So we're having this conversation in the end of October 2022 after either after or in the middle of a crypto winter. Right. So the answer is very different from what it would have been in 2021. Um, I think at the end of last year, we were, you know, nearly every client was asking whether or not they should own. I think the default question was, should they own it now versus should they wait for it to drop and then own it? Um, I think that's very important because if you go back just a year or two earlier, the default question wouldn't have been now or in six months. It would have been, why on earth would I do it? And that's a very big shift. Um, you know, so, you know, I'll be the first to admit three years ago, we were not interested in, in crypto. We had a few clients dabbling here and there, but we, we really didn't spend too much time in digital assets because we did not think it was material enough, diversified enough, controlled enough. Now, in some ways, we were proven right, of course, um, on all of this. Um, but in others, um, what's become clear over the last two, three years to us and our clients is that this isn't going away. And um, I think the simplest analogy that we and our clients take is that if you look at 1999 and the dot-com bubble, um, a lot of the companies that were leading the 97, 98, 99 technology revolution ceased to exist. However, the revolution did not stop. After a relatively long dot-com winter, you know, the companies that really had their heyday in the 90s became market leaders. You know, out of the dot-com bubble, we had you know, Amazon and Microsoft survived, Google and Facebook became the poster children for the, for the 2010s. So you know, to us, that's a very similar analogy. We've just gone through a pretty big collapse in crypto um, in the digital asset space, and this is going to wash out a lot of businesses that really shouldn't have existed. But the ones that get through it are going to be made stronger for it. And um, it's very clear to us that things like Bitcoin and Ethereum are not going to go away. We have transitioned from thinking of it as something that you know clients can do in their free time away from their real investments to really needing to have solutions in the space and to be to being able to have a, a framework for asset allocation, risk sizing and really owning digital assets. The, the way we own stocks and bonds, um, uh, which means sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we own a lot and sometimes we, we own little. Um, to us, it is yet another asset class. And I think that's something that most of our clients have embraced um, versus two years ago, that was not the case. With the current like kind of market conditions and like the what the market trend is like, I'm sure like a lot of people are like looking at different ways of investing or like um, doing their wealth 
management and asset allocation. So with the current market condition, what are there some of the thematic ETF focuses for investors um, for this year and also next year? Um, again, I guess it depends on, on the investor. So I think there's a few big decisions one has to make when thinking about markets over the next 18 to 24 months. Are we going to have a recession in the U.S.? If so, you need to have very defensive position. And by the way, this now, in our mind, this now applies to both the traditional finance space and the digital finance space. And we can talk maybe in a little bit about how the digital space has transitioned from being a diversifier to actually, in my view, being a leading indicator almost uh, of traditional markets. So first, you have to form a view on, you know, do you believe there's going to be a recession? In that case, you probably want to be a little bit defensive. Uh, or do you believe the Fed is going to stop raising rates soon and then we're back to the good old days? I think the other thing you need to think about is what's China going to do? Do you believe COVID zero will end in China? If so, you absolutely have to own China because every market that has exited COVID zero has had a massive boom in consumption and equity valuations. Um, China is going to be no different. It's just a question of when. Until then, it's going to be painful. Beyond those two big events, you know, as I mentioned, we, we have a lot of clients where we think in decades. So what will the world look like in 10 years? I think we're going to stop using the word clean energy because it's just going to be energy. So that means you probably want to own companies that specialize in that space. We also know that the world is getting older and less productive, that the two are very related. So robotics and AI software are going to increasingly take the burden from human labor. So you probably want to have some exposure to that long term. These long term themes lend themselves very well to thematic ETF exposure because you don't know who's going to be the winner in 10 years. It's very hard, just like I mentioned the dot-com situation, to decide, you know, um, dogtreats.com versus amazon.com in 1997, which, was, which one was going to survive. So similarly, you know, I can't tell you if robotics company A versus robotics company B is going to be the one to finally crack a robotics platform that can really aid human beings. So we got to own both to some extent. And that's where thematic ETFs and thematic allocations uh, make a lot of sense. That's how we think about it. You want to own some of these long-term themes, but then you've got to make some decisions around the macro drivers for the next 12 months. Um, I totally agree with you. Like the market, like right now, it just changes so fast. Like before it was semiconductor and robotics and infrastructure, clean energy. And then right now it's like what you said, energy. And so what are the, some of the changes in the way investors and financial institutions kind of manage there was these days. You know, I was thinking about this um, in a client conversation yesterday. You know, for the first time in over a decade, we have to adjust to the reality of the risk-free rate in global capital markets not being zero. The risk-free rate right now, if we use the U.S. as the risk-free rate, it's 3%. It's going to be 4% in a week. This really changes pretty much everything about how you have to think about portfolios. You know, so first of all, you can now own fixed income again because you're actually getting a positive uh, a positive yield that's more than half a percent. Um, it means that companies that rely on debt are going to really struggle. So you need to understand how much of a company's revenue goes toward, um, uh, toward interest payments. It means that you know, a 7% yield on crypto coins is no longer that exciting for the risk you're taking because you can get five from buying a GM bond, General Motors bond. Actually, you probably get a lot more than five for a GM bond, but 
I should pick a safer company. So you now need you now have options. You know, we used to talk about there is no alternative, Tina. Um, for a long time, you needed to own Bitcoin because it was going only one way. You needed to own equities because they were only going one way. Now that's not the case. So what changes about risk management is your opportunity, your real opportunity set has now increased. And you need to evaluate whether or not the risks in equities or in crypto are worth it, given that the opportunity cost of not owning them is much less than it was before. But to give you one simple example, I bet that if you compare the volatility of UK gilts over the last one or two months, you would find that it is more volatile than Bitcoin, which is a crazy sentence. This is not something that anyone would have thought would be possible, you know, five years ago. But the reason is that much higher rates are creating this problem in the UK gilt mar market due to liquidity and funding concerns of UK pensions. And at the same time, much higher rates have largely deflated the crypto bubble that we had uh, in 2021. So you effectively have a complete reversal of the situation where Bitcoin is now by many measures could be argued as being cheap. It's like a store of value right now, right? Like how stable the price is these days. Would you say so? I don't know if I'd go so far as store of value because it is still quite a bit more volatile than your average currency. But but yeah, I mean, certainly, I think the direction, Jason, is absolutely right. It's volatility has massively decreased. And actually, by the way, this isn't a single year occurrence. There's been a trend over the last five plus years of volatility decreasing. It's still higher than most traditional asset classes. But five years ago, it was higher by multiples. Now it's higher by, you know, 30% and slowly decreasing. So we've had a complete reversal. UK, you know, UK gilts, one could argue, are very expensive now. And Bitcoin, one could argue, is very cheap now. So again, that changes your risk management. Who would have thought that, you know, if you if you size your portfolio positions by the volatility, arguably, you, you might want to own slightly more Bitcoin than you do UK gilts right now as a global investor. So that's a big change versus a year or two ago. Sorry, I want to quickly go back to... Uh, the previous analogy that you mentioned, Alexei, which is the dot-com bubble and, you know, what companies emerged unscathed from the dot-com bubble. And you kind of tied this into what's going on in the crypto space right now and what might pan out in the future. Now, I assume that, you know, based on what you've mentioned, you believe that digital assets, Bitcoin, you know, these, 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 these digital assets are here to stay. Now, what do you tell your clients in terms of the value proposition of Bitcoin, Ethereum and digital assets? Like, why do you think they will play a part in the future global economy. So I, I think we have to split apart um, a couple of subcomponents of, of digital assets. There's Bitcoin and Ethereum, which one could argue are now established, let's call it ever-present um, uh, currencies. Then you have um, the, you know, I, I wouldn't go to thousands because I can safely ignore many thousands of the coins and tokens out there, but let's call it the next 50 or so, which are probably the only ones that are really investable for the majority uh, of, of people. And then you have the non-coin digital assets, NFTs, Web 3.0 projects. They sit in a separate category for us. So, so let me quickly lay out you know, why I think all of these might have a role in someone's portfolio, even though for us, we primarily are in the first two buckets with a little bit in the third in the altcoin bucket. So for us, very simply, Bitcoin's utility is that it has a limit. Unlike gold, you can actually lend it so like gold, it has a limit, which is good. Unlike gold, you can lend it and have some sort of income. It's very difficult to lend gold. And it has transitioned from being, for the time being at least, from being a diversifier and being completely uncorrelated to markets to actually, as I mentioned earlier, being a leading indicator. Our very simple thesis is if, is if the Fed stops raising rates, Bitcoin will jump 20% up and the S&P will jump 3% up. 
So if my view is the Fed will stop raising rates, I can own Bitcoin as a much more aggressive play on that uh, event. Um, now, a lot of people have said, well, Bitcoin is no longer an inflation fighting mechanism. We actually beg to dif- disagree a little bit because it doesn't fight inflation, but it correlates very strongly to money su- global money supply. So the collapse in Bitcoin, one could argue, is because the global money supply growth collapsed um, when all of the money printing to deal with COVID slowed down last year. So, you know, for people who chart things, you don't chart Bitcoin against inflation, which is the result of money supply growth. You chart it against money supply growth, and then you actually have a pretty powerful relationship. So that's Bitcoin. Ethereum, very different. It's a smart contract currency. So you can actually, it's, we think of Ethereum as a potential Windows 95. Um, You know, Windows 95 was the thing that created the PC era. It was the first operating system that was usable. One could argue that Ethereum is on its way to being the first operating system for crypto on which you can build stuff. And clearly many people are. So we, we own those two currencies for a majority of our clients. Now, do we own 50% of their portfolios? Absolutely not, because we have to risk size. But we own those two. And, the, you know, and we think over the long run, their growth will continue. In the altcoin space, it's very difficult because... You know, telling the difference between each coin is very difficult. Separating the hype from the advertising from reality is very difficult unless you're a specialist in the in the area. But our simple definition is, are people spending money to use these coins? They're never trading. If no real life money is being spent to use them, then chances are they can, they'll remain someone's imagination and, and not much more. So the altcoins, you know, we, we only invest in that for those people who really want the exposure, who have an understanding of what those things do, and they, they might have a strong view on one versus another. And then the last category, the NFTs um, and, and Web 3.0, our view is that it's a bit early. We see a lot of enthusiasts in the space, but we think it's, it's too difficult to choose. And you can't own the whole space. Um, you've got to own something in it. And, and we are unclear right now as to the value proposition um i think and maybe we are conservative in this space but we we would be in the monitor camp rather than invest um, when it comes to nfts and web 3.0 projects for now so speaking of risk management do you see a difference in managing the risk for traditional financial products versus digital assets i think the general principles are all the same understand the drivers understand the math understand the points of failure and understand really what causes an asset price to move up or down. But the details are very different because, of course, the infrastructure of the market is very different. So, for example, we like it when our traditional securities are lent, lent out, because when um, if you can own the asset you want to own and get a little bit of extra yield, great result. The same exists in the crypto world. You can lend your coins. But unlike in the traditional finance world where securities lending has been an established practice for a very long time and it went through an extreme stress, excuse me, extreme stress event in 2008, regulations were changed, practices were changed to make sure that that would never happen again. We don't feel that we are there yet with crypto. How do you construct securities lending portfolio in the crypto space in a way that is truly truly safe the way one could argue the traditional securities lending space already has has that done right so in the traditional space we don't really stress about how securities lending is being done we have a high level understanding of what each of our brokers will do 
and we know it's being done and regulated. If we decide to lend something out in the crypto space, we will be spending a lot more time to understand how that particular broker does their lending, how they handle collateral, who's on the other side of the lending. And it's not because it's the actual general principles are the same. When you're doing securities lending, you need to pay attention to all these things. But it's assumed that this is done in the traditional world, largely because it's regulated. You still have to kick the tires, but it's largely done. And you cannot assume that it is done in the crypto space. Similarly, um, we like to think that we have a pretty good understanding of hedge fund flows in traditional equity and fixed income and derivative markets. That is very well regulated. There are still gaps. But there's plenty of surveys and a pretty good understanding of hedge fund long short positions. So you can see what are very concentrated bets and how if an event happens that bet might need to be unwound and could create stress in the traditional economic system, traditional financial system. It is harder to do that in crypto. Uh, you know, 3AC shows that as an example. But of course, you could point to a similar example in traditional hedge fund world as well. But the point is that you, you it's so much less developed. You need to do a lot more homework to understand uh, the players involved and the bets taken. How do you think institutional and professional investors can leverage the current technology and blockchain infrastructures to manage their assets? The short answer is that it's too early to, 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 to know, in our view. Um, but the slightly more nuanced answer is that there are increasingly uh, platforms being designed allow you to recreate aspects of the traditional finance system without the intermediaries. Now, it's not truly without intermediaries because, of course, whoever built the digital platform is now the new intermediary, but it might be cost more cost efficient. It might be more operationally efficient. You know, just like we can all own shares of Apple by buying them on the New York Stock Exchange, we uh, potentially we can have, you know, um, you guys are at Exchange Square, so we could potentially have a tokenized, tokenized units of Exchange Square, and therefore we could all own a part of that building. Now, unless a company is created to own the building and list on Exchange, you cannot do that right now, but you could with blockchain. Uh, right now, if I trade outside of China, my trades uh, settle T plus two. So I trade on Monday, but cash doesn't move until Wednesday. I mean, that's insane. And it's a leftover from the days before computers. But changing all that infrastructure in the existing system is extremely expensive and risk prone because if you get one thing wrong, um, the whole thing can, can collapse. So therefore, it just it's left alone. In new exchanges running on blockchain, it's you could potentially start from a T plus zero. That's in, in, the, in the capital market side of things. You know, there's no shortage of blockchain projects and, and initiatives to better track supply chains, to better, to better track inventory. So as a VC investor, actually, blockchain is very exciting because there's so many people trying to do new things. There was actually recently a Bloomberg uh, report on crypto um, by Matt Levine in, in, in the U.S., and he made an interesting observation. One of the neat things about the digital asset space is that there are so many very talented people interested in building something in the digital space compared to in the traditional non-digital space. And that actually in and of itself creates an opportunity for really exciting innovation. To put it maybe in simpler terms, if you are a derivatives trader in, in a bank in New York, the chances are of you coming up with something new and innovative and useful to the world are pretty slim because a lot of innovation has happened over the last 100 years and you are extremely regulated. If you are very talented, you could be very interested in moving over to the digital assets where there hasn't been, there's a lot more opportunity for innovation. And, and, and a lot of smart people in a room trying to work on something usually results new and exciting things. So as a VC investor, I think blockchain is very interesting. 
much more so than traditional businesses, to be honest. As an asset allocator, we find it very difficult to pick between the various blockchain projects. So we need to partner with people who have an expertise um, uh, in, in doing that. Well, I wish we can uh, dive further deeper into blockchain because I think that's another dimension, right? Because we focused today's discussion mainly on digital assets from the Bitcoin and Ethereum perspective. But you mentioned tokenization, you mentioned supply chain. You know, these are all of the very nuanced use cases of blockchain. And maybe we can have a further discussion next time with regards to how blockchain can really innovate and transform the world. But before I go, Alexi, just a kind of a relaxing question because, you know, investment is kind of a stressful topic, right? So I understand that you are, you're also pretty into rowing and running, right? Do, do these give you inspiration to, 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 to your daily life? Like, like, how, like how do these help you to what, like with your professional life and what you do at uh, Leo Wealth? Um, I think the biggest impact is if you, you know, for those who don't know, rowing is, it's, it's got a physical aspect, but it also has a very, um, very large technical aspect. You know, there's a right way to put the oar into the water before the stroke and a right way to take it out. And if you do it correctly, you row much, much faster. It's not just a physical, you know, working out aspect. It's also a, um, you know, it occupies your brain fully because on every stroke, you need to do it correctly to maintain speed. So what that means is that you can't think about markets. You can't think about work. Um, you often can't think about your family. You, you're just thinking about this one thing. Um, and that is, for me, uh, its own form of meditation. Um, I've tried meditation to clear my brain and I keep getting distracted. Uh, but if I have to get to the finish line, I don't get distracted because my brain just focuses on that. So for me, it clears up the mind and allows me to refocus when I need to focus, um, which is why, you know, along with the, with the you know, working out benefits, uh, which is why I enjoy it so much. Well, yeah, well, thank you so much, Alexi, for uh, joining today's podcast episode. Well, I'm sure, you know, our Crypto Savvy listeners have learned a lot about, you know, coming from a investment management professional, you know, a private wealth management expert like yourself, how do these platforms, how do these companies think of Bitcoin and Ethereum and digital assets these days? So thank you very much for the very informative session. Thanks. I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Crypto Savvy, the podcast that delivers the essentials brought to you by Hashkey Group. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.